Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. This episode is sponsored by my 7-Day Beat the Bloat Challenge. So ladies, if you want the tips, tricks and recipes to get you from bloated to beautiful, jump to the show notes and register now. Today I have the privilege of speaking to Selene. Am I saying that right? Yes, perfect. From Selene Douglas Nutrition. So Selene is a holistic nutritionist. Uh, She's passionate about empowering women with the nutrition knowledge and the tools needed to improve their health. So Selene's focus is really about helping women enhance their lives through real food. Can I get an amen? And living Mm -hmm. a life aligned with the way nature intended. Well, Selene, sounds wonderful. I think we have a lot in common. And I would love to know about your story and becoming a nutritionist. Where did it all start for you? Yeah, sure. So um, thanks so much for the introduction, firstly. Um, I guess it all started um, if we, you know, go right back to my childhood. I think I probably had a very um, wholesome childhood and upbringing food and health wise Um, And I definitely owe that to my mum. So I did have a, um, my dad actually passed away when I was quite young. And off the back of that, my mum got um, really, really into making all of the food herself, um, not buying anything in packages. So she was, you know, fermenting her own bread. Um, If we were having, yeah, dairy, she was going to um, the farm to buy it unhomogenized, unpasteurized, all that kind of thing. So yeah, everything from scratch. And I often like laugh now with my partner because as a treat on the weekends, I was allowed something like cloudy apple juice. Um, (laughs) And, you know, so funny to think of now, but yeah, I was sent to school with brown bread sandwiches. um, And so definitely no one was keen to trade lunches with me um, in the playground. So that's sort of how um, it started. And then I think, you know, as I became a teenager, Um, I had a lot more autonomy in um, what I was eating, what I was drinking and, you know, what I was doing on the weekends. Um, And my health that at that age just really, really started to um, go downhill. So from around, I guess it was um, 16 to 20 ish. I had like repeat tonsillitis um, every month. Um, I also went on the oral contraceptive pill around that time and Um, I know that's a very, very common story um, among us women. Um, So because of my tonsillitis, I was taking um, antibiotics regularly. Um, I did have also, you know, some stress going on in my life or going through the HSC, all that kind of thing. Um, And, yeah, I think around that time also my mental health wasn't amazing. Um, I was really fatigued and had low iron. I was also vegetarian at the time. So I had been for um, sort of around 15 to 21. So 
six years or so that I was vegetarian and I was needing to nap every day. Um, so yeah, things were not um, great for me around that time. And I went overseas after school. So I was overseas for two years. Um, and in that time, I did go off the oral contraceptive pill. And then I came back to Australia and actually moved down to Sydney. Um, and I was working in real estate at the time. And I thought, you know, okay, I've been off the pill for two years now. I have no period. My health is okay, but I'm still quite fatigued. And my mental health is, you know, a bit iffy still. So I just really need to sort my health out. So you were pretty young, weren't you? Yeah, I was pretty young. I was 20 at the time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, and so I, you know, went to the doctor, which is what most of us would think um, is um, the best foot forward thing to do. So I went to the doctor, explained my symptoms, said, you know, I've been off the pill for two years. I haven't had a period. I have no signs of any changes hormonally. And I just have, I'm lost. Like I have no idea what's going on. So she said, you know, right, it's really, really, really common for girls your age will get some blood tests done and, and see what's going on. So I was like, great, this is, you know, things are changing, you know, she's going to have an answer for me. So I went to um, get some blood tests done. I went back to the doctor's office and she looked at my test results and she said, everything's fine. Everything looks normal. Um, the best thing for you to do is to go back on the oral contraceptive pill. Yeah, I've heard that one before quite <laughs> yeah. a few times. Yep. Yeah, yeah, very common. Um, and so I just, I sat there and I had the prescription for the pill. I walked out of her office and I was like, I just, no, I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't really know then, but I thought that, you know, possibly I had all these issues partly because of going on the pill at such a young age. Um, and so as I said, I was working in real estate at the time and I had a tenant actually, and somehow me being me managed to start talking to her about my period within, you know, five minutes of meeting her. And she told me she was a naturopath. And so she said, um, come and see me, let's bring your test results. We'll, you know, let's have a look at them. So I thought, okay, cool. So I went to see her, took my test results with me and, um, she looked at them and she basically said that my, there was no activity, you know, my estrogen was really low. Obviously, there was nothing happening with progesterone. Um, and, you know, it's essentially looking back, I think I probably had hypothalamic amenorrhea, but she said, there's nothing going on with your hormones. Like, that, that I'm not surprised, you know, I, I honestly don't know why you were given that advice. Um, and so we did a number of different things, but Basically, she prescribed me um, certain herbs. We changed my diet a lot. Um, we changed up my training. So I was doing a lot of high-intensity training then. So we changed that up. Um, and um, also a big part of what we worked on was bringing back more um, joy and relaxation into my life. And I guess she was trying to get me to explore um, where I might have passions for certain things in life because I just wasn't really you know, things were okay, but I just wasn't really um, passionate about anything in particular. And she said a big part of that was, you know, a big part of my health journey was exploring that and exploring, you know, I guess what would give me um, drive again. And so I, I, yeah, was getting acupuncture as well as part of it. And six months later, I actually did get a period back, wow. which was really, really exciting for me. And I think, you know, that whole experience just, um, 
made me so um, in awe, I guess, of the female body and women's health and also filled me with probably, I'm going to say, a healthy amount of rage for um, just how underlooked um, women's health is. And it just made me so sad for all the women that, you know, don't go looking for answers outside the doctor's office and that do go straight back on the oral contraceptive pill and, you know, don't, um, yeah, seek an answer outside of that. And so um, that whole experience, I guess, is what um, decided, made me, sorry, decide to go and pursue um, a health uh, career as a nutritionist. And so I moved from Sydney to the Gold Coast and then I started studying and it's probably, what, eight or nine years ago now that I had that appointment with her. Um, and yes, that's been in a long story short. <laughs> so I guess my biggest question to you is then, are we twins? Are we actually <laughs> twins? Because <laughs> your story is almost exactly the same as mine. Mm. Um, there are definitely a few key differences, but the hypothalamic amorea, the missing periods, the being told to go on the pill, the dietary changes that were needed um over exercising like a madman like just (laughs) stress going on like struggling to find joy in certain things like it's just and I mean it uh, I would love to think that that's only us that's been through that journey and it's not a common thing but you know it's it is and you would see women all the time in clinic I'm sure with a story like yours because I see a lot with a story like mine and yeah hearing that you've gone through the same thing is uh fascinating in the same way as well because it does start so young like you're talking about being in your early 20s and I was exactly the same I was in my early 20s with nowhere to look and I think that's what I don't know, really drives women like you or me to be like, right, something needs to be done about this. This is not good enough. It's just not good enough. So it's it's definitely not, no. Oh, wow, wow. Okay, so then, yeah, then you studied. So you went on to Gold Coast to study a degree in nutrition or naturopathy? Yeah, so I did. I actually did do a year of naturopathy initially um through Endeavor College and then uh I just I don't know I was really more into the food side of things um probably growing up the way I did and my mum eating the way she she did and she's also French so she's always been really really into food um that was yeah I just had this feeling throughout that whole year that no I'm just really meant to um food is my thing Um, and so, yeah, I did a year of that and then I actually, um, moved over to Griffith and did a a nutrition and dietetics degree, but I didn't, you know, as probably most of us know what nutrition and dietetics is like, it's the food pyramid. Um, and it is unfortunately still being taught in uni now. And I just knew in doing that, you know, I was getting my piece of paper, but at the end of the day, I wasn't going to be practicing um, as a dietitian. So I didn't register uh, with the DAA and I've just done um, yeah, further learning, I guess, outside of uni um, to further my skills in women's yeah. health. 
Yeah, you're, you really hit the nail on the head with that because I know a lot of women and I was one of them as well. I really just went in it to get the bit of paper because the things that I was taught in university, I definitely don't use in clinic. It was all my further mm. education and I know you're the same. I know there's plenty of other women who are the same as well. Like um, dietitians definitely have their role and that's super critical and important, but there is a certain aspect of it when, yeah, when you do even things like delving into you know, your area of niche with women's health specifically. And then when you do look into, like we're going to talk about today, PCOS or hormonal imbalances, I don't know about you, but I wasn't taught about any of that stuff. It was all the further education and your own experiences and your own research that really drives you to niche in on that and help women. Definitely, definitely. So today we do want to break down uh, PCOS as I know that you see so many women, I'm sure, who have symptoms of PCOS or maybe they suspect they have PCOS and maybe even within your journey that was an aspect of it. You were like, oh, no, like, do I have PCOS? What does that even mean? Why why are my periods not coming? Especially because it does get mixed up with HA a lot, hypothalamic amorrhea, and that it, I think it is really important that we create enough education and awareness around this. And one of my biggest sort of go-to women with this is Dr. Lara Bryden. So I am going to link her into the show notes because she's got a really amazing book, The Period Repair Manual, that I think every woman, when they turn like 11 or 12, somewhere around there, it's like, okay, take this manual, have a good read and keep it next to your bed. So when stuff happens, you've got something to refer to. But we do learn about those different drivers of PCOS. Um, And I really would like to ask you to break down PCOS for us. So for women who don't know what we're referring to, um, give us the short and sweet. What actually is PCOS and what does it mean? Yeah, of course. So Uh, PCOS or PCOS, whichever you want to call it, uh, stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. So if we break that down, it means cysts on the ovaries. And it's estimated at the moment that um, of women experiencing hormonal imbalances, it affects around 10% of women at the moment. So it's quite prevalent. Um, And the key symptoms of PCOS are irregular periods, Um, often late. So, you know, it could be um, over 35 days typically um, and too many days of bleeding. So you might be bleeding for, you know, upwards of six days. Um, In conjunction with that, you know, it's those longer periods, but also irregular. So it could be, you know, 26 days, one cycle, then 35 days, then maybe 40, then maybe back to 26, that kind of thing. Uh, And it often comes along with excessive facial or body hair. So, Um, darker hairs around the sort of chin or upper lip area, Um, acne, particularly acne across the back and shoulders or chest area I found as well, Uh, hair loss from the head um, and weight gain or infertility. But it's not to say that you'll experience all of these symptoms. It's just that these are the collection that can go along with the late irregular periods um, and additional days of bleeding. And all of those symptoms relate back to the underlying um, fact that with PCOS, you're uh, not ovulating. So you're having what's called uh, anovulatory cycles and you have elevated androgens, which are male hormones. So typically uh, testosterone and DHEAS. So 
Okay, so PCOS, so we're talking about a syndrome. The syndrome usually is, you know, like a collection of symptoms, but often Mm -hmm. one of the, like you said, there is definitely a lot of different symptoms here. And I think the hardest thing is, is that, you know, you could have these symptoms and not have PCOS, you could have PCOS and not have these symptoms. And I think that's, you know, really frustrating for women as well, because we kind of just want like a checkbox, like, oh, I've got da, 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 da. Okay, I've definitely got PCOS. But one of the primary ones, the first thing you mentioned is the cysts on the ovaries. Now, if if there is cysts on the ovaries, does that mean that something we can see with an ultrasound and you do the ultrasound and then either, yes, you got PCOS or no, you don't have PCOS? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's just so much confusion around the name polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it should probably be renamed. Um, but essentially you cannot diagnose PCOS with an ultrasound alone. So, you know, a woman with PCOS may or may not have cysts on her ovaries. Uh, So you could um, have PCOS and have cysts on your ovaries, but you could also have PCOS and not have cysts on your ovaries. You may um, not have hormonal imbalances and you might have cysts on your ovaries. And the, um, I guess, confusion around this is the uh, classification of what they're actually looking at when we look at the the ovaries on an ultrasound. So these things that we're calling cysts uh, are actually immature ovarian follicles. Okay. Okay. So um, I'll explain that a little bit further, but the, um, the egg that will um, release the the follicle, sorry, that will release the egg at ovulation takes actually a hundred days to mature and reach that point where it would ovulate and release the egg. So Imagine that follicle goes on a 100-day journey. Along that 100 days, there's more than one uh, follicle trying to reach, um, to become mature and to release the egg. So imagine they're all in a race. They're all in a race trying to reach the finish line and only one is actually going to be the winner. So pending, you know, what point in your menstrual cycle you're actually looking at that um, ultrasound will determine, you know, are you looking at actually many um, immature follicles that are completely normal and benign that are actually, you know, just immature follicles and not cysts. And I think that's really where a lot of the confusion um, comes into play. And so, um, you know, if you're going to, you know, a GP or whoever is doing an ultrasound alone and diagnosing you with PCOS, it's, it's actually incorrect if that's the only thing that they're looking at. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That, that makes sense because yeah I do often have women say oh well you know I've got an ultrasound and I don't have PCOS mm. or some saying well I've I've got cysts in my ovaries therefore I've definitely got PCOS but I don't have any of the other you know criteria of it but because mm. I've got it or well, therefore I'm infertile and and that's it like end of the story so what what is the diagnosing criteria for PCOS mm-hmm. that a GP would use what what are they looking for what else Yep. So normally or typically what we're using at the moment or GP is using is um, what's called the Rotterdam criteria. So it's three different um, criteria that we're looking at to diagnose PCOS and a, a woman would need to meet two out of three in order to classify as having a PCOS diagnosis. So number one is an ovulation, which means that you're not ovulating. You can still have a period, but you're not ovulating. 
uh, or those irregular cycles. Um, number two is high androgens, so high testosterone or high DHEA measurable, measurable on a blood test. And number three is those uh, polycystic uh, ovaries on an ultrasound. So it's important to note that, you know, as nutritionists, we actually can't diagnose someone with PCOS. That's really outside of our scope. Um, if we suspect um, PCOS, uh, I would always refer to a GP to, uh, you know, either get further testing or to get that confirmed diagnosis because ultimately that's really out of our scope. Um, or, you know, if someone is coming to me uh, and they, you know, are told they have PCOS either from an ultrasound or, you know, it, they've been told from the Rotterdam criteria and I want to see further testing, then I will refer to a GP to get to get some more answers about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, like you said, you can either look for those irregular periods, but that's not always PCOS. It might be more HA, like what you and me um, mm -hmm. struggled with. It might be the high androgens, but again, not necessarily because it might be driven from something else, stress or inflammation or, you know, um, another area then you're looking for the ovaries on the ultrasound. I mean, yeah, the polycystic ovaries on the ultrasound. So what's sort of going on with that? But do you think then if if this can be so wishy-washy is not the term, but if it can be yeah. so, yeah, non-specific in a sense and you don't, yeah, it, it can point to different things or it's hard for a woman to get a diagnosis, is there another or a better um, definition for PCOS that, you know, you would like to talk about? Yeah, great question. And, you know, I can't take the credit for this one. It's um, one, I know Dr. Lara Brighton that you mentioned at the start of the, um, at the start of the podcast, she talks about this a lot and, you know, a more clear uh, and correct definition for PCOS would be androgen excess. So that's those high male hormones, testosterone and DHEA when all other possible causes of androgen excess have been ruled out. So that makes it a lot more clear. We don't have to worry about, you know, immature follicles or, um, you know, uh, irregular cycles as a result of something else. So the other reasons that we might have high androgens, so there's high male hormones, one um genetic reason is something called congenital adrenal hyperplasia and that affects around nine percent of women with pcos um typically it's not really tested for i you know i normally suggest that if uh treatment doesn't work as we expect it to once we've addressed the underlying cause in pcos which we'll get into later then that's something we would want to look into and rule out and it is quite easily done um, with a blood test through the GP. It's just something that, you know, you probably need to be informed about explaining so that you can actually get that test approved. Um, and then number two is hypothalamic amenorrhea. So we've mentioned that quite a few times, but essentially that is a result of, you know, our output. So what's going on in our life, how much we're exercising, stress levels, all that kind of thing, exceeding our, you know, what we're getting in, our input. Um, and along with um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, so you would have, you know, 
cessation of uh, menstrual cycle. You won't have a period at all, most commonly. And um, often we'll also see um, facial hair and acne along with that. So that is really commonly um, misdiagnosed with PCOS, which is really, really problematic because, yeah. Um, yeah, because most commonly with PCOS, the only cause that is, you know, conventionally recognized is insulin resistance. So if that's the case, then women with hypothalamic amenorrhea are being told that, you know, they need to cut out carbohydrates completely and, you know, they need to lose weight and, you know, take metformin or they're just being prescribed the oral contraceptive pill. So um, that is, you know, one of the biggest thorns in my side, I think, and probably the... Can you mm. just expand on that for our listeners? So if you've got HA, so what what actually is that and what drives that just in a nutshell? And, you know, why is it a problem if we're being told to cut carbs if we have HA? Yeah, so um, most commonly the typical picture that you'll sort of see with HA is um, being underweight uh, and not eating enough for what your body needs. So a lot of these women are doing a lot of um, HIIT training. They're not nourishing their body in the right way. They're normally very stressed type A kind of people um, and probably generalizing there, but that's often what we see. And they're just, you know, they're not taking care of themselves as well as they need to be. They're um, running around, probably doing all the things for everybody else and are not nourishing their body in the way that they need to. And <clears throat> really what HA or hypothalamic amenorrhea means is that the hypothalamus in the brain, so that's not communicating properly with the ovaries because it senses that the environment's not safe for whatever reason. So the reason being that, you know, there's lack of food availability or, you know, this person is too stressed. And so therefore our reproductive um, our reproductive functions are considered non-essential and therefore, you know, are shut down because, our body needs its resources elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. So definitely a lot to think about. Like if you are a female who's got irregular cycles or been missing, you know, your periods for a couple of years, definitely things that you and me both struggled with. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. don't jump the gun and be like, I've definitely got PCOS or I've definitely got HA. There's a lot more to look at and doing some testing is always so important as well, whether it's your run-of-the-mill blood testing, whether it's more comprehensive Dutch testing, depending what it is, you do really want to start to look a bit deeper rather than just using your symptoms or your symptomatic picture to go, oh, this is this is what I've got. Or yeah, I should just be taking the pill because it's just going to band-aid it and fix the solution. So I guess to sum it up for today, some of the key takeaways from this is if we think we've got PCOS, POC, I'm kind of like, <laughs> my tongue's getting all mixed up. Um, what are some things that we should be thinking about or, you know, what, where, where do we start with it? Yeah, okay, so... There's um, four main types of PCOS. Now, it is important to note that insulin resistance is the most common cause of PCOS. So it accounts for around, you know, 70 to 80% of all uh, causes of PCOS. So, and, and then we have lean PCOS, but it's also important to note that you can be lean and still have insulin resistance as well. So, you know, we can often think or, you know, categorize people with insulin resistance as being 
overweight, but that's just not always the case. So that's also where I think, you know, a lot of confusion lies. But step one, I would say, you know, really, do you have HA or do you have insulin resistance? So, you know, are you under eating? Are you underweight? Do you have no periods or do you have irregular periods? That's where you really need to start. And then if we go a step further and you go, okay, no, I definitely do have um, PCOS, um, you know, testing definitely is step one before you try and think about what kind of PCOS you might have or, you know, start cutting carbs or whatever you're, you're doing as an intervention, get some testing done. So hormone-wise, you know, you want to do testosterone, DHEA, LH and FSH because um, if your LH to FSH ratio is um, much higher, it's, you know, quite characteristically um, PCOS is that we'll have high LH. Um, you want to test prolactin, estrogen and progesterone. Um, and, you know, if you have high androgens, then let's explore that a, a little bit further. Is it caused by insulin resistance, which we know is the most common cause? And if you go and talk to your GP normally about insulin resistance, they'll probably order HbA1c and fasting blood glucose, which really aren't sensitive enough to pick up those early changes in your insulin sensitivity. So you, if we're testing HbA1c or fasting blood glucose and they're coming back high, you're much further along than someone who might have issues with their insulin, which is causing a hormonal imbalance, which would only really be detected sorry, through either you know, fasting insulin or insulin assay test. Um, and then... Other, some other markers you might want to look into are, you know, a full thyroid panel, including uh, T4, T3, reverse T3, thyroid antibodies, um, some basic inflammatory markers, things like C-reactive protein and homocysteine. But again, it's important to note here that inflammation goes a lot deeper than that. You know, if you've got um, inflammation in your gut or you've got ongoing parasites, things like that, you know, they're probably not going to show in your CRP or homocysteine, but that is a good starting point. Um, and then key micronutrients that we always want to look at, particularly um, any irregularities um, with our hormones are things like vitamin D, uh, B vitamins, so folate and B12 and iron and zinc is where I would really start. Awesome. All right. So that lasts probably two to three minutes for a lot of you. If you're walking or running or driving and you've just seen listening to that, you went, ah, how am I going to remember all that? I'm going to keep pressing rewind on Selene's voice. I'm actually going to link that into the show notes for you all just so that it's written there for you. And you can be like, ah, yes, that, that makes more sense. Um, <laughs> both of us would love to dig more into the um, different types of PCOS and sort of break that down for you a bit more and give you more information on what things you can do for those different types of PCOS and how you start to treat and support your PCOS because, you know, it's not something that it's just a blanket diagnosis and then you have to take the pill. There's so much you can do and both of us are so passionate about supporting your body through nutrition, through lifestyle changes, through whether it's some herbs or vitamins or things that will just support your body in that time when you're struggling with this. You know, maybe it is a diagnosis or maybe it's just the symptoms of PCOS. PCOS, either, either of them. So 
What we're going to do is we're going to wrap it up for today, but we will record another podcast for you guys and we will dig into all that stuff. So make sure you hit subscribe and stay tuned so that you can hear the beautiful Selene again. But in the meantime, before we pop that up and record that for you guys, what is the best way to get in contact with you, Selene? Yeah, sure. So my online home is just selendouglas.com and you can also find me on Instagram. That's really where I'm most active and my handle there is just selendouglas underscore nutrition. And of course, you can always send me an email, which is hello at selendouglas.com. Beautiful. And once again, I will link them all in for you guys. So you can have a listen, you can have a look and you can have a stalk and a read. (laughs) I'll pop lots of the information up for you. But either way, if PCOS is something that you struggle with or you're thinking about, don't be afraid to reach out to Selene and pick her brain. She will love that. (laughs) Um, And we will get on to recording um, some of those, yeah, some of those things that you can do today to help and support your PCOS but uh, really I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on today and for breaking that down for us there is so much information there that I feel like women are going to have to listen to it on to repeat um, to get all those nuggets of gold out of it but yeah thank you again I really really appreciate your time and yeah enlightening us all thanks so much for having me it's been great Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking.